You're listening to Manufactured with Kim von der Weert, and this is a podcast about sustainability and the making of fashion. Join me in conversation with the people who manufacture what we wear. This week's episode is going to be a little different to normal episodes. As some of you might know, in addition to hosting this podcast, I also write. And an article I published last week through my work with Transformers Foundation is about a topic that's very near and dear to my heart, so I want to give the piece some airtime here as well. The article is about the Hig Materials Sustainability Index, also known as the Hig MSI, which has been in the news lately. For those of you wondering what is this Hig MSI, here's some quick context. Brands and retailers have been looking for ways to talk to the public credibly about what the actual social and environmental impact of their products are. But as public scrutiny increases, they need a quote-unquote back-end that supports or justifies whatever claims they may make. Otherwise, those claims will rightly be dismissed as greenwashing. Many brands and retailers have used the Hig MSI as that quote-unquote back-end. It was created by the Sustainable Apparel Coalition, which counts some big-name brands as its members, and crudely, it's a way of scoring materials, so whether that's leather or cotton or polyester, on their environmental impact. And it's been in the news because many say that the data used to calculate that score is problematic. So without further ado, here's my take. And the article is called The Hig Data Debate. No room for context, imagination, or co-creation. Part 1. Is the data debate the most important debate? The consumer-facing product labeling tool known as the HIG MSI is under fire for greenwashing. The accusation leveled by the New York Times is that the fabric ranking system created by the Sustainable Apparel Coalition favors petroleum-based synthetics over natural fibers. Less than a week later, the Norwegian Consumer Authority ordered fashion brand Nerona to stop using HIG data in its marketing on the basis that it was misleading. On June 27th, the Sustainable Apparel Coalition announced its decision to temporarily pause the consumer-facing MSI. Like many conversations in sustainable fashion, the subject of debate is the data. Are the numbers used to make the claim true or not? Is the data reliable or not? Should we have used different data? Do we have better data? And if we don't, is inadequate data better than no data at all? For example, the New York Times allegations were made on the basis that HIG data is outdated and funded by the synthetics industry. The Norwegian Consumer Authority said that the HIG MSI data was, quote, likely to be false and untruthful, unquote. In response to the New York Times article, Amina Razvi, CEO of the Sustainable Apparel Coalition, the industry body that created the tool, wrote that incomplete data is better than brands, manufacturers, and consumers, quote, having less access to robust and credible data, end quote, and advocated for, quote, closing the data gap, end quote. The data can and should be debated, but I want to zoom out for a moment. Data is just information expressed as a number, and numbers are just values representing a quantity. In other words, the meaning of data is derived from context. It's not intrinsic. It's worth referring to a 2021 report on cotton misinformation by Transformers Foundation, where co-authors Marzia Lanfranchi and Elizabeth Klein write, quote, Part of what pulls us towards data and statistics is that they're closely linked to our ideas of objectivity and truth, as we tend to assume that data transcends all human relations and stands alone with no outside influences, end quote. 
Elizabeth Klein in a podcast episode earlier uh, in to, released in at the very end of 2021, and that's episode 73 and 74 about this same report on cotton misinformation, reflects, if you understand the complexity of agriculture and the localism of different techniques that apply to different regions and cotton growing fields, you understand that using a global average figure without context and applying it to every geography means reducing the complexity and not really pushing people to lean into that gray area, end quote. Sarah Mock, an agricultural journalist, also on those episodes, and again, that's episode 73 and 74 about this misinformation report in cotton put out by Transformers Foundation, went on to respond, and I quote, what is actually the point of numbers? You know, I think we, and I'm paraphrasing here, make intuitive assumptions about a lot of points. And I think that the myth debunked in Transformers Foundation report that cotton takes 20,000 liters of water per kilo of lint, again, is a great example of that. We intuitively assume that we don't want to use water. It's like this weird assumption that at the core of the earth, there's a single well of water that we all draw, that we draw all of our water from. And if something is using too much of our single hold of water, then that's a bad thing. But that's just not how water works, right? End quote. My point isn't that numbers aren't useful. It's that numbers in order to be useful require context. By focusing on data's credibility, we risk missing the elephant in the room. Universal aggregate claims about a garment's social or environmental impact will, by definition, strip data of the context that gave it meaning in the first place. Regardless of which data we use or how credible it is, an aggregate or universal claim is likely to be greenwashing. Part 2. Brands and retailers could talk about context if they wanted to. So while debating the numbers is, themselves is certainly worthwhile, the more fundamental question is, why is it so hard for brands and retailers to communicate data with context? I'm going to speculate that many brands and retailers would answer this question by referring to their scale and complexity. Practically, when production is done by so many actors in so many countries, and there are so many different products, context-specific claims are hard. Some might also point to the lack of consumer interest in context, but I would venture to say that this very debate is evidence to the contrary. Deferring to scale and complexity misses the more fundamental point. Long, complex, unwieldy supply chains are a choice, not an inherent state of play. Most brands and retailers have chosen to be footloose, one might even say promiscuous, because all of the things that would tie them to a specific place, context, and business partner, like having lots of production people on their payroll, building a factory, or fronting material costs are too risky. Instead, they've opted to minimize financial risk for themselves by offloading it onto their supply chain. Suppliers, in turn, tend to cope with this by further offloading that risk, for example, through subcontracting, outsourcing, or short-term contracts, until ultimately the risk lands with the most vulnerable. One result, supply chains get longer and more complex. The crux of this debate is not the data itself, but the fact that on the one hand, most brands and retailers chose to give up the very knowledge they would have needed to make meaningful claims about their sustainability impact because it was better for their books and their shareholders. 
Meanwhile, on the other hand, those same brands and retailers sought to leverage their so-called sustainability chops as a market differentiator. These two things are fundamentally in conflict with one another. The Hague controversy is just one example of how brands and retailers have tried to square this circle. Cue the accusations of greenwashing. Maybe instead of debating which aggregate universal figures can most credibly be presented to the public or advocating for better data to support different aggregate claims, we should be talking about how to reduce the breadth, depth, and complexity of fashion supply chains so that it's possible for brands and retailers to regain their understanding of how and where their clothes are produced. Triggering supply chains to contract isn't rocket science. It simply requires more equitably distributed financial risk. Or to put it differently, it requires brands and retailers to be a little less footloose, a little less promiscuous, to have a little more skin in the game. We could achieve this by advocating for prices that hinge on consistency relative to forecast, or by putting pressure on brands to make financial commitments equal to at least 50% of projected demand for a period equal to the supply chain's total lead time. This begs the existential question, should we even have supply chains at all? Is vertical integration the way to go? Maybe, but there are some good reasons to outsource. For example, expensive capital investments that would not be justified by one firm's demand alone, or technical expertise, whether that's knowledge of how to make products or knowledge of the diverse local context in which people's livelihoods, for better or worse, now depend on the global fashion industry. Part 3. Room for Imagination. Co-creating a new way to talk about impact. I've been reading How the World Really Works by Vaclav Smil, a scientist. He writes, and I quote, Complete decarbonization of the economy by 2050 is now conceivable only at the cost of unthinkable global economic retreat. End quote. While we debate data gaps at a micro level, the big picture science is abundantly clear. Modern life as we know it is fundamentally dependent on fossil fuels. Reaching a dignified standard of living for all requires increasing, not decreasing, our per capita energy use. What if, as an industry, we made it our mission to help the public understand these realities? What if the public knew exactly how much fossil fuel was needed to produce a specific t-shirt? And again, I maintain that this is only feasible if we simplify our supply chains. And what if, instead of leveraging this number as a market differentiator, it was used to help people understand that we must fundamentally rethink our relationship with clothing? We must buy less, and even that is not enough. And what if maybe, just maybe, this created the public demand and understanding that we, as industry, need to make new business models a reality? Wouldn't we all be better off? Reimagining how we communicate to the public requires co-creating a vision for the future. This requires recognition. When brands and retailers make big aggregate claims about how they want to change their impact, they're not asking their supply chain for tweaks around the edges. They are asking for a fundamental rethink of the way those suppliers do business and the context in which those suppliers operate. Aggregate claims, universal figures, certification schemes, all these brand-driven ways of communicating about impact trivialize their supply chain's realities. We can't co-create a vision for the future if the entities doing the heavy lifting do not feel seen, understood, and recognized. Instead, 
Co-creating a vision for the future requires a different kind of conversation. I hear supplier after supplier emphasize the importance of context. Meanwhile, I hear brand after brand dismiss this point of view as impractical and unscalable. It's as if brands are having a conversation about tennis while their supply chains are playing football. Brands and retailers would do well to listen to their supply chains to attempt to learn the game of football instead of dismissing it on the grounds that it is not tennis. Disclosure. Since the 27th of June of this year, I'm participating in the Sustainable Apparel Coalition's panel of external experts. The external expert panel is designed to provide unbiased, independent, ongoing feedback, guidance, and constructive critique on the proposed specifications, methodology, and launch of the HIG Index Transparency Program. Thank you for listening to Manufactured. Support the show by following me on Instagram at manufactured underscore podcast or sign up for the newsletter at www.manufacturedpodcast.com for an overview of the latest episodes, articles I've recently published, and links to off-the-beaten-path reading. Last but not least, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes and hit subscribe. This helps other people find the show, and I'd really love your help with that.